Hello, everyone, and welcome to Analytical Fanboys, the regular modular media media club podcast where myself, the modular king of the vlogging ring, Simeon the Vacuuminator Scott, and my trusty co-host, the atmospheric Boingo Rider. We have a party at Ground Zero. Everybody's invited. Oh, yeah. And uh, every week on this podcast, we take a look at one main topic, discuss a little wrestling, and discuss a little other stuff we've been watching during the week. But we always start off with our main topic because, hey, you clicked on that pretty thumbnail and that title because you wanted to hear us talk about that thing. So this week, we are talking about the album Truth and Soul by Fishbone from the year 1988. This is something Chris put on the list. I had not listened to it before, and my first time listening to it was just a few hours ago. So I'll admit, unlike usually when we do an album review on here, I'm not very well researched. I didn't have time to like read the lyrics and read up on the meaning of certain songs. But I will just go ahead and say I did enjoy listening to this, and I'm eager to get some deeper meaning out of it by talking to Chris about it, because I assume he is a, a very big fan of this album. So, Chris, why don't you tell us a little bit about Truth and Soul? Well, first off, most people probably have no idea who the fuck Fishbone is. That's true. So, Fishbone is a... How would you describe their genre? Kind of uh, funky, jazzy soul. Yeah, there's a lot of ska. There's a good amount of punk in there, too. You know, I do do detect hints of ska, but I didn't while listening to it. I was just like, oh, this is upbeat jazz music. I like it. That's basically what ska is. Yeah, I'm I'm special. Good job. Um. But essentially, it's a band that started early 80s in uh, Southern California. Mid-early 80s, like that kind of area. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they got pretty big, pretty good reception, a lot of great live shows. A lot of people liked them. But they had a problem marketing their music recorded or music videos or anything like that. The main reason because... (sighs) Um, there's no easy way to put this. They weren't black enough? Oh. Because here's the thing about Fishbone. It's an all-black band. Every member of the band is black. But their music is rock. So when they were ska. It's rock, it's ska, it's all this kind of music, which traditionally ska's from Jamaica. But people think of it as white people music because it's so dorky sounding. Currently, yeah. But um, but essentially, they would go to traditionally black music labels and they wouldn't sign them because, yeah, no, we don't know what to do with this. And they would go to rock labels and traditionally white labels and they would go, eh, we're not sure how to market you. 
So they were too black for white folk, too white for black folk, and they were just stuck in the not, middle with you. Yeah, and that not being able to fucking promote their music. So essentially, they were one of the best bands of the 80s that no one ever heard. Makes sense. Um, and like you can hear their influence in other music. Like you can hear how like I as knowing a boingo. You've only really listened to the first Oingo Boingo album, but there's a little influence of like there's some Oingo. Like you can hear Oingo Boingo listening to this and going like, "Hey, let's do some of this stuff." Yeah. Or the most obvious comparison: Red Hot Chili Peppers. You know, I'm not a red ch- hot chili peppers guy, so I wouldn't have ever thought of that without you suggesting it, but I can kind of get it now. Yes. Also, uh throwing it to a band that has that we've covered on this show before besides Oingo Boingo. Um I detected similar theming of uh oh god, now of course I can't remember their names. The uh the Anarchy Boys. Oh, Rage Against the Machine. Yeah. Like, they they feel like a calmer Rage Against the Machine to me. Oh, yeah. It's also a lot more, like, tongue-in-cheek and sly with what they're saying. Well, Rage Against the Machine goes, like, fuck you, society's broken. These guys literally go, like, okay, that joke I made in the beginning, Party at Ground Zero, that's another one of their songs basically saying, hey, fucking let's just go party at the destruction of society. Mm-hmm. Um... Like, the the big hit single off of this album is about the ramifications and trauma a child goes through in divorce. And it's set to a very similar um, hook beat to It's Not Un... Up from It's Not Unusual. Oh, yeah, no, it, it's a very poppy song. But literally, it's basically going, Hey, mothers and fathers, what the fuck is wrong with y'all? Like, literally, I was listening to that, and I was like, have I heard this before? What the hell? This sounds so familiar. Oh, my God, this is the same beat as It's Not Unusual. But it's... Fishbone is one of my favorite bands. And to an extent, they have their cult favorite fan following kind of thing. I am one of them, and hopefully I can make you one of them. It's extremely Boingo core, but it's the side of Boingo core I can get into. It's that same side as uh, Oingo Boingo. Yeah, it's the goofy side and not just the, oh, okay, side. Oh, this is an art piece. This is really an art piece. <laughs> okay. Oh, was that Trout Mouse, Trout Massacre? Uh, but basically, Truth and Soul is actually their second album. I thought I was putting their first on. I forgot. <laughs> but it does have my favorite song of theirs. Actually, a couple of my favorite songs, because goddammit, I love uh, uh, Bonin' in the Boneyard. It's <laughs> so dumb. <laughs> it's fucking stupid as hell. I love it. I love that like, they have a good number of dumb songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, just because they're... They like to. They are a very collaborative band. In fact, I, they're a band. They have gone on record and said, "Like, no, we're a cooperative band. Every member of the band puts in energy and effort. Like, some voices are louder because they are more creative. Uh, they're more creative, but like every voice 
gets heard and we do things democratically, which is awesome, but also really hurt them in some regards because they would all disagree on certain things and it would take them longer to make a decision. Mm. Um, but the should we start talking about the album proper? I mean, you're going to have to lead me through some of this because, again, I've only listened to it once and I was half paying attention. But I'll I'll chime in with my own observations where I can. Okay. Well, the first song is actually a cover. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, Freddy's Dead. It's the theme from Superfly. That classic uh, black exploitation film. I don't know much about black exploitation aside from things like black dynamite but sure it's a it's an old school classic uh it's a, it's a cover it's a fun cover just it's, about it dude yeah i was trying to figure out when i was like i like this but is it is it trying to say something is freddie an allegory for some sort of political thing i don't know i think Mainly because it's a theme from a movie. It's literally about the character. Okay. I haven't seen Superfly. Mm -hmm. So. Everybody's misused him, ripped him off, and abused him. Another junkie plan, pushing dope for the man. A terrible blow, but that's how it goes. Freddy's on the corner now. It's about it's about a dude who's just gone through shit. He's up on drugs. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Freddy's dead. Mm -hmm. And now... We come to probably the first true and proper song of Fishbone in this album. The song that I that I think has would probably be their most well known song because I I looked it up and this has been used in things. Mm -hmm. Like they have a couple other big. They had a couple other sizable rock hits at the time. Uh, Sunless Saturday, uh, something sun, Sunless Saturday and Something Sunday. It's like a really cool duology they, of songs they have. I'll look those up. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we come to Ma and Pa, which is genuinely one of my favorite songs. It's just a real happy tune about divorce. I mean, can I, can I say something that might potentially piss you off? Go ahead. This felt like a slightly more direct Smash Mouth song to me. I can, you know what? I will say this. I'm not the hugest fan of Smash Mouth, but just you being a fan of it has kind of turned me around. Just like, you know what? If this person who I trust their opinion to an extent <laughs> uh, likes this band, there must be something there. And I can understand that because. I mean, the reason I like Smash Mouth is because it's incredibly upbeat, biting criticisms of modern society couched in nonsense. That's how I see that band. And there were quite a f few songs on this album that made me feel that way. It's, it's why I, I liked it as much as I could with just one listen. It's why I got into Oingo Boingo, because of the songs on the album from them you showed me that were like that. I honestly, Smash Mouth is their first couple albums is a ska band. They are ska. Mm hmm. So it's not unusual. It's not. It's not unusual <laughs> that the two bands I've shown you, which use a lot of ska in their soundscape, 
this one and Oingo Boingo would be you would like. <laughs> the thing is, like, you're super into ska. I'm into ska if it's goofy fun ska. And I and I'm also the kind of person who goes like, oh shit, is this extremely anarcho-political ska? Sign me up. I want horns <laughs> telling me to fight my boss. Uh, and and the other thing I have to say with this is like I enjoyed it. It's it's very accurate to my understanding of what having parents who get a divorce is like, but also my parents I've I've not had that experience. Um the way I understand it is through media that depicts divorce and I'm of the generation that was growing up just after the big boom in media tackling that as a big hot button issue. So I grew up with a lot of stuff that featured divorce, but I never experienced it and I had very few friends who went through divorce. Um, however, do, do you want to actually go into that? Yeah, I, I am a child of divorce. I This happened to my family when I was about like seven, eight, around that time. My sister was just really born, so I do connect a little bit to this song. Um, especially because it was, I wouldn't say it was completely messy, but there were some messy bits. Mm. So it, there, there is a kind of visceral reaction when I sing along to the song and just go like, what the fuck is wrong with Why don't y'all just get your shit together? Mm-hmm. What the hell is wrong? With, that's like literally lines in a song. What the hell is wrong with y'all fighting for the love of an angel's feather? Why don't you get your shit together? And it's, and it's basically saying like, hey, it's fine that you're divorcing. It's never saying, like, you need to stay together for the sanctity of marriage. It's saying, don't bring the kid into it. The kid has nothing to do with it. Mm-hmm. Which, and it basically goes on to say, like, yeah, no, because of this whole thing, it fucked the kid up. Make, uh, made her, make her want to take drugs and be out of line. Mm-hmm. And, like, that's, I feel like I have, I, I shouldn't be able to speak to other people's personal um, relationships. That's kind of a belief I have. But I do get extremely apprehensive when I see stuff where people are going through a divorce and they're vilifying their partner to their kid, regardless of whether that person should be vilified or not. Because I'm like, the kid's a human person. They may still be developing into that. But maybe let them make their own decisions about the other person who's responsible for their existence. Yeah, they, it's it's just a big old thing of like, hey, parents, shape up. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the next song is a happy little joyous tune, "The Question of Life." Ah, <laughs> uh, this this was a fun one. Oh yeah, no, it's just a, it just wants to make you like stroll down the road. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's just solid, happy. I had it playing to remind me what it sounded like. <laughs> it's uh, it's one of those ones that just kind of washes over you. It's oh, yeah. good. It's good, but not notable. I think you can say. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I saw God spread his arms across the imperfect sky. The clouds rolled across the full moon tattooed in the sky. It's trying to paint a picture. 
it, uh, for the eye tattooed in the sky, judged the planet's plea, and I was just a humble man and feared God in his sight. The light, the question rose from my soul. Again, it's it's very much like a Smash Mouth song in that there, there's a song called I Just Wanna See, which is about strolling through the park on a beautiful day, but not wanting to be involved in the lives of anyone else who is there. You're just there to observe and enjoy that people are having this great day. And uh, th- there's a song called Let's Rock, which is literally just over and over again, the, the main singer going, you know, I've been thinking about all this fucked up shit in the world. I've been thinking about my own vices and how long, it, how much longer it's going to be till I have to pay for them. And you know what? Fuck it. Let's just rock. Yeah. And sometimes you just need some bits like that. Uh, then we have a uh, pouring rain, which did I misinterpret this or is this a song about racism? It's a song about just like, the lyrics are the sun will shine on brighter the wind will always blow something life's a breeze the other uh, others feel love is sin i found beauty in dancing stars to you your dreams may be a farce and you think that you can't feel pain and you think we can't feel it all can you sing out in the pouring rain can you sing out can you sing out basically saying like shit's not perfect for everybody but like can you sing out he had one foot in the gutter, another on dry land. His ship sailed without him uh, across life's burning sands. He cried out in the distance, and no one, no one heard a word for a prophet's not respected in his own world. It's basically saying, like, yeah, no, some people speak out and say things and aren't heard, and they're and they're treated like shit. Yep. So, uh, another one of those albums you bring onto this show made like two or. Three or fucking five decades ago, still very relevant. Oh yes, it's extremely relevant. Uh, you choose to close your eyes, and the rest of the world will bleed. Mm-hmm. It's. I mean, we're recording this at the end of May 2020, and I'll just say there were there were certain things in this album of like, wow, it's certainly interesting that this ended up on the show this week. Oh yeah. <laughs> But uh, no, go ahead. But it's kind of a, it's kind of a it's basically a different take on like uh, the impression that I get from the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones, which in that one it's a dude seeing another person go through shit and go like, "Oh man, can I deal with that?" And this it's a person explaining the shit that someone can go through and going, "I don't think you can go through that." Mm-hmm. It, it's questioning the very idea of like. A lot of people go through shit and uh, go through shit and you don't listen to them. You probably can't handle half the things that they have to go through. So this is a song about Cody Rhodes. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, welcome to Analytical Fanboys, the show with comparisons like that. Uh. I'm not proud of what I am. I just roll with it. Yeah, but hold on. Let me let me go back over the music some because I remember this being fucking. It's a nice little slow jam. So 
just a simple little ballad to make you question things. Think a little yeah. bit more. Open your mind. Yeah. But the next song is uh, Deep Inside, which is which is uh, It's definitely not my favorite bit of music associated with Common Rider Gim, but as uh, as character themes go, it's it's decent, you know. <laughs> Do you get that? No. There's a song from X Aid called "Wish in the Dark," and it's uh, it's Gem's character theme. It's actually sung by the actor, uh, but the opening lyrics is just him going deep inside. I am struggling deep inside. I am fighting to be heard. But uh, the lyrics of this thing is rich ass, high class. Don't bother me, and I won't realize your crime. Two face, you're out of place. Can't rock out because you ain't the kind. Well, if you were on the other side of the fence, well, maybe you'd understand. I may freak you out with my raw look because I'm just the feeling, got the feeling, man. Brainwashed, you're lost, your blindness can't be helped anyway. Your cash, my clash, makes me able to say. Do you get what the song's about? It's big Della Roach energy. It's saying, hey, just because we're black doesn't mean we can't fucking make rock music, you dickheads. You got the prestige status, you've got the majority mass, plus you've got a blender by General Motors and a Tonka toy dump truck up your ass. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. You'll never look the way I feel, you'll never feel the look in my eyes, because I got the feeling swimming in my bones is taking over deep inside. It's, it, it, it's, it, it's, it's looking at both sides and going like, hey, other black musicians, we just want to rock out. Hey, white guys who like our music, you can like our music, but you won't truly get where we're coming from. You don't have that same experience. It's it's that feel it's that feeling of being pulled from these two different directions. No one can truly understand who you are except for you. Yeah. But, but you can I express think... yourself and try and be understood. Oh, it's, it, and I think this just because I know the history of this band, that's so, like that's just the band in general. That's just because some of the members of the band are fucking weird. There's a guy named D'Angelo. He's the lead singer. Uh, you may have saw the music video of Mom and Pa. Saw him. I did not, but I I I definitely do want to go back and watch that. He's a cool looking dude. He uh, best way to put it, he looks like a JoJo character half the time. <laughs> and he has a mohawk but not like a regular mohawk a dreadlock mohawk amazing and it looks dope as fuck and no this isn't like a modern haircut this is like him in the 80s it's sick man's out here dressing like Lance Archer <laughs> Then we got uh, Mighty Long Way, which is a more, like, I'd say traditional kind of rocky song. Yeah. I'm trying to remember what this one is about, because I remember liking it, but I can't remember the actual content of the song to save my life. Uh, said I'm shaking in my shoes sometimes, and I'm all, uh, and all alone I get the blues sometimes. And I'm far away from home, it seems so far away, many moons and many days. You know, many things are on my mind. I search and search for answers I can't find, then my people I seek... They listen when I speak. 
Just believe me when I say me and my friends go a mighty long way. It's basically going like, hey, we're traveling mm-hmm. around. We're seeing the world. We got the friends beside us. It, uh, okay, now I remember why. It reminded me of two things. It reminded me of Journey, because a lot of their songs are about being a bunch of sad boys on the road who miss their wives. And it reminded me of Stay On by Endless Jess, which is from the second season of The Plebe and the Weeb, in an episode about the K-On movie that just ends with this beautiful ballad called Stay On of him talking about, I, I, the PCP aren't perfect, but they're my friends and I fucking love them. Yeah. Well, we look into a cloudy sky and cleanse my souls as the heavens cry in my life like a rolling stone up and down the hills. Basically, yeah. And so it's, hey, shit happens. But I got my friends. Mm-hmm. They got, they're beside me. We're going on tour. We're having fun. This is a good, oh, this is a good like, hanging out with the lads kind of song. Yeah. But then we have... One of the best songs ever. <laughs> Bonin in the fucking Bonin, which is just a 10 out of 10 from the name alone. <laughs> yeah. Let's just write a song about fucking in a graveyard. <laughs> oh my god, this is this is the kind of music that would get used in like a schlock horror film that James Rolfe would f- fall head over heels for. Oh man, you won't believe some of these lyrics, man. They're so deep. Got this feeling. Oh, I've got this feeling from the ocean. Yeah, it's all right. Yeah, got this feeling. I got this feeling. Got this feeling. Oh, I got this feeling from the ocean. Yeah, it's all right. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. You got me. You got me boning. Got me boning. I got me boning. Got me boning. Got me boning in the boneyard. Yeah, it's all right. Yeah. Got me boning. Huh, huh. Got me boning. Got me boning. Oh, you got me boning in the boneyard. That's it. That's the lyrics. It is a song purely based on Hook and the idea of, like, <laughs> boning in the boneyard. <laughs> oh. It's the kind of goofy shit teenagers write for their garage band, but it's written by an actual band. It's a solid, but it's a fun song. Like, it's a good... It's just good noise, you know? Yeah. But also, you know how earlier I said, like, oh, yeah, you can kind of hear some of this in Red Hot Chili Peppers? This was sampled in a Red Hot Chili Pepper song. I mean, I'm not surprised. Those, those gentlemen, they are something else. Like, this is just some good, like, theme song like this is the music that you have the main characters doing a big fun goofy montage in a movie yeah oh my god i never would have thought of it that way but that's a perfect analogy you know they're they're doing so uh they're dressing up they're getting ready but it's a couple of goths so they're talking about bones and shit (laughs) yeah Oh, man. This would have been a much different Boneyard match, though. Oh, my God. (laughs) This is just a series of us going, yeah, it's good. Here's a stupid joke. (laughs) I mean, what else can you say about Bonin in the Boneyard? A masterpiece of our time. Says so much about life. About Bones and Boneyards. 
and boning in said bony arts. And just boning in general. There's a lot of a lot of good things to say about boning, and they are in this song. And the best part, the song is about like five minutes long, and that's all it says. <laughs> it's so it's good. just it's just like let's just jam out and just just funk bass ska horns. Guys, we need guys. We need one more track for the album. What are we gonna do? We have to fill it out. Boning in the boneyard. Well, okay. Now let's come up with a serious idea. No, boning in the boneyard. Get your instruments. This is gonna sound weird. This sounds like the kind of music I would want playing in the background of a Tijuana Flats. Oh my God! Yes. <laughs> Also, now I really want Tijuana Flats, but they're a Florida-only franchise. Oh my god, are they? Yeah, I've never seen them anywhere else. Holy shit, I didn't know that. Tijuana Flats are great, though. Oh yeah, this is one of my favorite places to get uh, tacos when I lived in Florida. Oh yeah, no, like, me and my friends were going to see a movie once, and we were going like, oh, what what are we going to eat? And then we saw Tijuana Flats, and we all just went... Not Tijuana Flats. Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking this up because I don't believe you. I mean, I'm literally basing that on the fact that I have never seen one outside of Florida. Holy shit, you're right. They're Florida, Georgia. Ah. Because, see, to me, I always put them on the same like level as Chipotle, uh, Moe's. But, like, no, nah, they're... They're local shit. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, like, literally, that's my kind of aesthetic, is that weird, hyper-colored Tex-Mex, like, 80s, early 90s. (laughs) That and Vaporwave. Like, put those two together, that's me. Now, the one near you, because I know it can't be the one I went to all the time in Florida since I looked pretty far away from you. Um, does it also have ridiculous, goofy comic book art up on the walls? Yeah. Oh, my God. That's the best shit, isn't it? Oh, yeah, it is. We, we went to the, uh, the one in St. Augustine. Mm, yeah, mine was in, uh, I think, Fort Myers. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, one day, the prequel to One Week. Uh, this song is this song just sounds like an Oingo Boingo song, literally. It does. <laughs> it just has that kind of layered texture soundscape that Oingo Boingo does, and they mm-hmm. uh, they also sing it in a similar Oingo Boingo kind of way that that soft horn of a throat, you know? Yeah, it's like. Danny Elfman been up in this shit? No, I don't. I don't think so. But it just has that kind of like oingo boingo flavor, but waiting for the one day. Are we waiting for the one day? We were uh, we are waiting in restaurants over there. We are waiting in cars somewhere over there. We are waiting in bathrooms, waiting in bars, uh, waiting for the one day. Waiting in boot camps in the country somewhere. Waiting in front of the TV's living rooms. Waiting in heaven somewhere up there. Waiting in hell somewhere down there. Uh, time for it comes revelation, masculation, salvation, execution, uh, 
femalization, uh, femalization. It's time for time is gone for desegregation, privatization. This is a song basically going like, "Hey, fuck We're racism." We're just waiting for the uprising. Yeah, and you like kind of don't get it until you get to the last little bit. It's like, oh, revelation. It's like, oh, people need to learn masculation. Okay, cool. Salvation, excitation, femalization. Oh, feminism. Okay, desegregation, privatate, uh, privatization. Surprisation. Damn it, shut up. Waiting for the one day. It's just basically going like, hey, we're all waiting for the one day where everything can just get better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's solid. It's good. My favorite part of the song is when the, the background goes like bum 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 da 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 da. Yeah, that was that was a nice touch. Super fun. Like I can just see like an animated music video of everybody sitting still waiting and watching like a riot on TV and then like fucking people are just pop up and just do that. Mhm. Yeah. You know? And then we uh we have what I would think of as uh your entrance music. Oh, subliminal fascism. An entire, <laughs> an entire one and a half minute song just saying like, hey, media fucking is a dick and the world is actually pretty shit. Mm-hmm. People got problems that they can't work out. So there's, uh, so there's, they, uh, they sense cracks. I read the paper and I watched the news, but it don't give, uh, it don't give me blues. It just gives me the blacks. <laughs> shit. Yeah. I w- Again, this was a moment where I was like, oh, yeah, this is why Chris likes this. <laughs> That's just like a fucking brilliant line. Especially remember, uh, I, I, what are the boys in blue? Mm-hmm. Uh, starvation on the radio, they don't play the facts. They just play the Cracker Jacks. <laughs> Subliminal fascism getting under your skin, so you better wake up. Wake up, us. Which could also be like, oh, my yeah. God. This would be Mr. Brody Lee's theme if he was a face. Well, the bad gets worse, too fucked up, and the hate grows more each day. So when the infected try to affect you, don't listen to what the uh, don't listen to them when they say follow the rules, forget the bomb, communi- uh, communi- communalistic patriot. The plan is subtle, but it's in the open. Kingpin Nazi scheme getting under your skin. <laughs> I like how oh, you're man. reading this like you never noticed it before. Oh no, I noticed it, but I didn't know the exact words. So uh, you better wake up, US. Subliminal fast. It's just going like, hey, we live in a fascist dictatorship. We just don't realize it. We just call it freedom because it makes everyone feel better. This is probably the most punk rock song in the album, though. Yeah. Best comment on their YouTube video, though, is I guess two people are are overt fascists because they dislike the song. Genuinely, like, honestly, this is kind of warning people about the alt-right and fascists taking over the internet. Mm-hmm. Like, holy shit. And this is, what, 1988? Yep. Goddamn. Fishbone tried to warn us, but people were racist back then and we didn't listen. 
genuinely great, great song. It's fast, it's yeah. fun, it's dramatic, and it makes you want to scream subliminal fascism. Probably one of my favorites on the album, honestly. Um, but can you explain slow moving bus to me? Because I kind of blanked on this one. Well, let me re-listen to it a little bit. Oh, it's it's kind of a bluesy storytelling song, right? Mm-hmm. So let's go through the lyrics. Born in the 1940s, my parents couldn't vote. Do you get what the song's about now? Yeah, it is. X and King were on the march for power true, black power that is, Panthers and their attitudes, sport fresh new business suits. Stricken with determination to rise above a slave, the male men use fire hoses to spray the monkeys back in their cage. Good Christ, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was not paying enough attention while listening to this album. I think that's become clear at this point. <laughs> <laughs> when we say subliminal fascism is overt it's overt in comparison to a lot of other songs and here it's a nice subtle message uh that gets across really subtly because the next one's a goddamn bullet to your brain mm-hmm. uh ghetto sound wave which coincidentally is what normies call blaster from the transformers really no i just made that up because i thought it would sound funny yeah. There's another cry of murder. Policemen shoot another, uh, shoot down a baby brother. Shot him, shot him down in the street. But did they know the mother's grief? Were they sure they got the right one? Did they know that he was her only son? 1988. Uh, a father tries to feed his family. To come to find their opportunity, living living in the streets. With their dreams, with their humility, we can't see the pain and the hurt. They love this land maybe more than us. It's a ghetto sound wave. Mm-hmm. Basically, it's that kind of like, oh, the music of the streets, the sound of the city. Oh, isn't that romantic? And he's basically going, and they're basically going like, yeah, no, let me tell you about the song of the ghetto. Mm-hmm. Another bourgeoisie politician. Here's our pleas, but does not listen. Never, never, never sees the need, but caters only to his greed. Can't he see there's no use living, and don't he know all our hopes are is dying? It's literally in the ghetto, but from somebody who's actually lived in the ghetto. Oh, yes. Because I love that song. I love that Elvis made that song. But this is just so much more detail. Oh yeah, and it's so blunt about it. Like, no, no metaphor, nothing like that. It's just like, oh yeah, no, a kid got murdered for nothing. Mm-hmm. Policeman shot a sh- policeman shot a brown person for no good reason. Uh, a father is having to commit, uh, go commit crimes in order to feed his family because he has no other way. You know, politicians don't give a shit about us. Note, this isn't a song from 2018, 19, or 20. 1988. I wonder why people had a hard time marketing them. Oh, boy. Ah, man. Also, I don't... Like, aside from the actual sound of the music, I don't understand how this could be deemed not black enough. Yeah, like... It's just weird. We say this to some of the whitest fuckers in the world. 
Oh no, we are we are two alabaster sons of a gun, but we we try to understand the plight of other peoples. I think yeah. that's that's kind of that's kind of been a running theme in modular media thus far. Uh, and the last song of this album is actually also a cover. Again, didn't realize that, but makes sense because it's such a different mood than the rest of the album. But I kind of enjoyed how it's like a come down. Yeah, hold on. It's weird. I'm looking at this and saying some things. Uh, I'm trying to figure this out because it says it's a cover. I'm looking at Genius. Mm-hmm. It says it's a cover of Changes by Tupac. But I'm not seeing any of the same lyrics. I have no idea. Hmm. But either way, this last song, Changes. Nice little acoustic-y kind of like, hey, we've had we've had our anger. We've had our injustices. But there's still hope. We can change. There's a light on a hill that's far out in the distance, and it calls out my name. It calls out for change. Uh, to the root of mankind, it bellows out bitter words. Youth cry out for today, strength to try to cry for a change. Yet it seems clear to me, it pounds inside my soul. Why don't we all see we can cry out for a change? Basically saying, yeah, shit's fucked up, but we can make it better. And I think that's a beautiful sentiment to end an album that hits you in the face with a bunch of fucked up shit. Mm-hmm. That's the truth in the soul. Shit's fucked up. But we can make it better. Yeah. It's a really... I I love Fishbone. They are one of my favorite bands. They need more of a do. Yeah, I definitely like this first exposure to them. I can't say if I'm going to get super into them. uh, But I'm... I definitely do want to explore them a little more in the future. Again, it's it's a very similar experience to the one I had when we did uh, the Oingo Boingo album. So maybe listen to another couple more of their big hit singles because they do get weirder as they go on. Uh, I got myself a Rice Krispie treat. Ooh, tasty. A homemade one. Ooh, that's, that's almost as tasty as the jams on this album. Oh, solid album. Great album. So, man, I don't know what more we can say about it. It's it's, it's just a really good, fun, but biting set of tracks that uh, really is worth anybody listening's time. And um, if you want, okay, so here's what I'll say. This is a great album, and so far I think it's a pretty good, like, if you just want a pure, solid introduction to Fishbone, Listen to this album. But if you want to listen to some other Fishbone after you get this, or if you want just a couple singles to dip your toe in, Ma and Pa, it's the first single you need to listen to. Sunless Saturday, Everyday Sunshine, and Party at Ground Zero are all, like, top-tier tracks. And uh, if you get into Fishbone, I would highly suggest to watch the documentary they made a good couple years ago, it gets you caught up on a lot of the story and the history of what this band has gone through and who they are as people. 
and it makes you appreciate the music so much more. Okay. I'd probably put that on my movies to watch list then. Got to figure out what the exact name of the movie is. But I can probably just Google Fishbone documentary. Yeah. I know it's um narrated by uh, Morpheus. From <laughs> nice. Ugh, fucking Lawrence Fishburne. Excellent man. Cat Fishburne. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fishburne, Fishbone, yeah. But, so what are you doing next week? Yeah, let's find that out, shall we? I will start the thing up and find out that next week on Analytical Fanboys, we will be discussing... Okay, this is another Chris pick, and I'm going to need you to explain. Okay. Oh. Thumposaurus is uh, a band, and they Uh have a lot of great music videos. Is this a you-have-to-make-a-playlist kind of a thing? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Uh, you better make it public or unlisted so that we can link it in the video description of next week's episode, then. I will make it with my mental karate. I'm assuming that's a Fumposaurus reference, and in which case, yes, good. Yes. Um, but, uh, we did do a good bit of wrestling this week. Not us personally, but we watched a lot of people do a good bit of wrestling this week. So you wanna you wanna talk about how fucking amazing Double or Nothing was? Oh, it was so amazing, so beautiful, so wonderful. It it <coughs> I had a rice crispy treat throat. Don't die, please. <sighs> we have to talk about this paper. It was wonderful. I'll take over for a second. Genuinely. I think this is the best pay-per-view I've ever watched live. Um, and that's that's not a huge pull to pull from, but, like, holy shit, bell to bell, this was a fucking great show. I haven't had this much fun watching a show since you and I, because uh, Chris and I listened, watched this together um, on the Saturday. Um I haven't had this much fun watching a pay-per-view since Chris and I watched WWE Super Showdown, the the Australia one, the not blood money one. Um mm. and uh it 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 was just incredible. Like I'll read um where's my freaking post I made in the Oh, here's here's what I posted in a uh, a wrestling um uh chat in a server I'm in. I genuinely love this year's Double or Nothing. Might be the best pay-per-view I've ever watched live. Stadium Stampede is a serious contender for match of the year, my in my opinion. Love that my girl Sheeta got the belt while looking cute as fuck. But without a doubt, my favorite thing is that we can now have an updated picture of Team Fuck You, We Are Good Enough, now with belts. A.K.A. there's now a picture going around of Moxley and Cody holding up their boat their belts and flipping off the camera mirroring the picture they took flipping off the camera after moxley's debut at last year's double or nothing double or nothing is double or nothing is like i don't the royal rumble 
I think that's going to kind of be the slot it fits. That it's, it's it's both Royal Rumble and Money in the Bank because the opening match of this pay per view was what if Money in the Bank, but also Royal Rumble, but also Poker Chip. Yeah, but also great match because so many great things in this because that's a problem with some ladder matches it is some like money in the bank is everybody's in the match it's a big kerfuffle and then you gotta knock people out and then they're just sitting on the sidelines for a while and this every person had about two minutes to get their shit in mm-hmm. until eventually swolverine showed up and they were all like, oh shit, we've got to bury him as, in as much shit possible. And he still won. Oh, it's great. But in this match, we had Ray Phoenix. No, we didn't. Uh, no, no, he got pulled out because of injury. We had Joey Janela. Mm-hmm. All of um, Jurassic Express. We had, I'm trying to remember who all was in it. Most of SCU. Uh, Frankie Kazarian. And Scorpio Sky, we had Darby Allen. Which, let me just sidebar for a second. SCU, both those guys were the opening two, and they had this wonderful spot to start off where they both start to dive out to grab a ladder, and they're like, oh, you're also get up to... You know what, let's just let's just spar for two minutes till the next guy gets in here? Yeah, okay, cool. Let's just be friendly. Let's just be good pals. Also, Kaz's new hairdo is ace. Oh, yeah. He's probably going to go back bald once everything's kind of calmed down, but I dig the hair look. Yeah. Um, he looks great. And then fucking Darby, like, he didn't do a whole lot of shit in this match, but the shit he did was amazing. He dived off of a ladder onto another ladder while riding his skateboard, and then he got thrown out of the ring by Swolverine while lying on top of a ladder. His role was to get murdered. Because <laughs> Darby can take it. Oh, yeah. Um, Luchasaurus... um, and then we had probably the highlight of the match. Oh? One Mr. Cassidy Orange. Yeah. Who comes oh. out lackadaisical. Goes over to the announce table, goes, what's the rules again? And Excalibur just goes like, dude, Tony told you 200 times. And then later in the night, during the media scrum, Orange Cassidy interrupts Tony Khan's interview, and he he asks for the rules again. (laughs) It was phenomenal. He had two full minutes. Where he didn't even get on a ladder. He just reached up with his hands going like, I can reach it. And then he tried to set up a ladder and failed and then just stood on top of a ladder falling over in the ring and tried to reach it. Oh, it was so grand. It was it was good. And then Cole Cabana came then and they had some fun comedy bits. Yeah. And then I think that was finally when the Swolverine, Brian Cage fucking I honestly think AEW might have higher quality beef than WWE oh they definitely have higher quality beef than WWE because their beef can tear a ladder in half with its bare hands 
WWE has more beef. AEW has like fucking wagyu beef. They have they have the they have the higher USDA uh, grade cuts. Yeah. So we may not be as getting as much, but oh fuck, dude, when we get our beef, mm-hmm. oh, because Brian Cage also like head to head with all the big boys in this uh, match, like Luchasaurus. Mm-hmm. I can't wait for that. That spot where Marco got out on a step ladder was so good. Oh yeah, so, it's just fantastic, excellent spot. The rest of the card is, was amazing as well. The women's match was fantastic. Literally a war, and like I thought, I was beginning to think we're never going to see a better match than that first women's championship match in this division. Because it's just, it's such a high bar, and they've been having trouble getting their shit together with the women's division. Because, like, AEW, I love you, but it's taken you a long time to actually get on the women's division like you said you were going to at first. Um, But now they are, and they made the right call, in my opinion. They put the belt on Sheeta when she was gaining a ton of momentum. Like, even before the pandemic, she had a winning streak, and people were super into her. And we have a bunch of new storylines coming uh, into fruition. Uh, Britt Baker just going on a tear against everybody else and Dynamite, which we'll talk about later. We have Sheeta as a new champion. We have people gunning for her. And we have Swole just trying to start shit with everyone in the crowd every week. Oh, yeah. No, have you seen the, the video clip of Lance Archer fucking trying to run Big Swole down in a car going, I'm going to serve Sammy Guevara your ass. Oh, it's so good. And her just running away going, you ain't shit! (laughs) Uh, And then, uh, fucking, um, I think, line of the night, I found my kendo stick, bitch. So, so great. So fantastic. Uh, And uh, then we had the My boy! My boy! My boy is a champion at last. Oh, yeah. Cody Rhodes goes up against Lance Archer for the TNT Championship. Who boy. Fantastic. And I gotta love how everybody misunderstood this match. Everybody fought, went into this and they were like, oh, it's gonna be team, uh, team Cody, Tyson and Arn backing him up as he takes down these big evil villains. And it's like... No, that wasn't the point of this match. And I don't understand why you motherfuckers are getting mad at Tyson for stooging on Arn. The point of this match is, yes, Mike Tyson is there to present the belt. Yes, he's there as sort of a referee. But the reason he stooges on Arn is because Mike Tyson consistently, every time he has appeared in wrestling, has been a guy... Who likes things to be fair and square? He's a sportsman. So when he saw Arn cheating for Cody, he's like, this guy's got to fucking go. He would have done the same thing if Jake had cheated for Lance. Which, hey, by the way, happens five seconds later. Mm-hmm. And, the, the, and that leads to the point of this match being, because Cody wins, Cody keeps bringing in all these celebrity guests and special appearances by for his storylines but he keeps he's been losing a lot lately while he's doing that 
Cody doesn't need other people's help. As much as he likes them, he doesn't need to play with his dad's toys to get over. Cody is good enough to make it on his own. And when he's on his own and has no distractions, he can take down a fucking murder hawk. Yep. Oh boy. It was fantastic. It was great. I can't wait to see what's going to happen with the TNT belt. Mm-hmm. So the belt itself, what do you think? From what I have seen, the belt right now, because it's unfinished, is at about 6, 7 out of 10. That's okay. But the finished, I think, looks pretty respectable, pretty cool. 8 to 9 out of 10. Yeah, you've seen those mock-ups going around of like what the golden bronze inlay is going to do for it, right? Oh, yeah. Um, it, looks, it looks really solid. And people going like, eh, but I don't like the TNT branding. Yeah, well, New Japan it, has IWGP branding. It's the fucking TNT championship, dude. What did you expect? And at least TNT is something that you, you like. You can fudge around with. It's like, oh, TNT. Oh, there's a show's called Dynamite. It's the bomb belt. You know, like... It's red. It looks like a bomb. It's interesting that way. And I love how people were going like, why are there plantations on the side plate? It's Ted's fucking house, dude. It's Ted Turner's house. Mm-hmm. Oh, that red. It's so ugly. I can't believe. Why are they doing the same shade as red as the raw tag titles and the Universal Championship? Because they can make it work for them? TNT's branding has always been red. Also, it's a darker shade of red. It's not the same. Mm -hmm. And also, I have a feeling that AEW would be a lot more willing to let the age of a belt show through, and thus it will get darker with age. Yeah. So yeah, uh, I like the belt. Fuck people who say it looks tacky. Yeah, it's a good belt. Um, and it'll get better with time, I think. Yeah. Also, another thing from the media scrum I liked, uh, uh, some reporter asked Cody how he felt about the belt, and and is he excited to see what it'll look like when he's finished? He's like, I know we're going to get a, a finished version with gold and bronze inlay, and I, I'm I'm interested to see what that'll look like, but at the end of the day... I think I'm going to keep this model around at least for myself because this is the one I won. I'm like, oh, dude. Sentimental fuck. Mm-hmm. But then we had a couple other matches. We had uh, Penelope Ford versus uh, Chris Statlander because Penelope Ford was uh, changed in for Britt Baker because she got yep. hurt. Um, it was fine. Right? Yeah. It was fine. It was good. Um, got both, both both of them on the pay per view card. There's things you can do with it going forward. Who knows? Uh, and then we had Sean Spears basically antagonizing Dustin Rhodes and more, going like, "Ha, ah, you retired. Ah, you're old and washed up. Ha, ah, let me let me fake out the audience that you're gonna come in and bust my ass." And it's like, "Ha, ah, no, I fooled you. Wait, why are you playing the song again? What's this ominous glow behind me? Uh oh." And then he proceeds to lose a bra and panties match. Yep. <laughs> and uh, fucking Tully is on his underwear. Which, okay. 
I gotta admit, I do find that a weird choice. I thought it would have been funnier if they had put Peyton on there, but I don't know if they could do that for legal reasons. Do a picture of Australia. <laughs> um, and like people are saying, like this is this was a burial. Sean Spears is gonna need so much rehab after this. Guys, you do realize Sean Spears is the good hand. He has been in there as the filling guy from the start. Like, yeah, he had that amazing feud with Cody, but his whole thing is he is the mid-card fill-in heel, and he's yeah. very good at it. He's very versatile. He can do stuff like this, and then he can come and crack his friend over the head with a chair. It's it's fine. This Character isn't WWE. Like, I know we're all... Per we have permanent PTSD from WWE doing this and killing some of our favorite wrestlers. But I trust AEW just a little bit more than that. Yeah. I, I, I'm wondering where it's going to go. It seems interesting. We didn't see him on Dynamite this week. But there's things that can, you can do with that. There's things you can do. Mm -hmm. So, do we, we got to talk about it. Match of the year. One of the matches of the year so far. There's still time left. We have all out later this year. We don't know. That's what's true. <laughs> That's true. Uh, but we have to talk about the stadium stampede match taking place in the Jacksonville Jaguars stadium, mm -hmm. which is a cinematic match that blows every other cinematic match out of the water. This was better than Money in the Bank. This was better than the Boneyard match. This was better than the Firefly Funhouse match. You know what? I'm going to potentially stamp on sacred ground. I think this is better than the deletions. Deletions went really hard on the wacky Matt Hardy stuff, and this only had it in sprinkles, so it felt more like a wrestling match. So I can see that. Mm -hmm. But... Basically, this is the Elite plus Matt Hardy. So, Kenny Omega, Hangman, Buck 1, Buck 2, and Hardy. Yeah. And, Versus uh, the Inner Circle. So, Chris Jericho, Sammy Guevara, Santana, Ortiz, and Hager. And I love that even though it was probably a collaborative effort on everyone's part, Jericho is the one who's credited with creating it in kayfabe. So him and the inner circle all come out in custom football gear. Yeah, and they basically run at each other in the middle of the field. Hangman's nowhere to be seen, and everybody's going like, where's Hangman? Call back to BTE. Um, uh, Omega just basically goes like, eh, don't, don't worry, I trust him. And then Hangman shows up on a horse. And runs Sammy down. <laughs> it's beautiful. Into into the into the concourse of the stadium, he finds a bar. After losing Sammy, he just goes for a drink. Yeah, and meanwhile, everyone's scrapping out on the field. Omega and Hager get in the ring that's at the fifty yard line for like two seconds and try and do some moves, and then they're like, "Oh shit, nobody else is going to get in the ring. Let's just go." And we have Santana, Ortiz, Kenny Omega. And Matt Hardy all go up into like the VIP area. They take out Kenny Omega for a bit. 
and they try to uh, Santana and Ortiz try to drown Matt Hardy in one of the best parts of this whole thing. And little do they know, it's fucking like water. It's Lake of Reincarnation water. So they put him down, and he pops back. He just does, like, you see from the side, he just does the Team Extreme, like, finger points to the mouth. He pops up and goes, like, yeah! And they go, like, oh, shit. They start doing it again. And then, to the side, it says, matters of facts. Because we both said, oh, no, it's just math facts. No, they've had to uh, circumvent copyright a little bit there. Mm Mm-hmm. But Santana and Ortiz can see the fucking graphic, which is hilarious. Um, and there's also we we almost we forgot before this happens. Santana takes Matt into the pool, and he's like, "Come on!" And Ortiz is like, "I can't swim. It's four feet of water." It's so Ortiz, one of my favorite wrestlers, AEW. Mm-hmm. He's so top notch, but. He comes back out, broken Matt Hardy. He starts beating him up some more. He 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 wraps Ortiz in duct tape on a wheelchair. He brings him underneath a bell and rings it, and Ortiz just sells it with a seizure. <laughs> um, and he's still selling it on Dynamite later in the week. So good. He puts uh, Satana in a fucking ice chest. They're gone for the rest of the match. Then we cut to. The bar, Jake Hager rolls up and sees the horse, and it's like, oh, Hangman's in there. I'm going to go get him. He, he, he just sits down at the bar, and Hangman says, you come to fight or you come to drink, and starts pouring him a drink. And Hager goes, both. And then Hangman takes a drink, puts it down, beat, and he says, honestly, what's the difference? And attacks Hager. Fucking beautiful character work. So good. And you basically have an old Western bar brawl. Mm-hmm. Eventually, so Kenny shows up. They start hitting Hager over the head with uh, gimmicks bottles. They do the big... The guy gets run through all the drinks on the bar spot from every cowboy movie. And then they finally beat Hager with a buckshot lariat over the bar. Hangman shot Larry and assisted Buckshot Lariat. Mm-hmm. They finally figured out how can we do a Buckshot Lariat without a ring? Oh. They got it. They figured it out. It's so good. They beat down Hager. And now we are we go back to the field and we no, have- no, 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 no. Before that, Hangman gets behind okay. the bar, he pours himself a glass of whiskey. And he pours Kenny a glass of milk, and they drink it. And I didn't get this until I saw a side-by-side. But this is a fucking recreation of a scene from The Wrestler where Dusty Rhodes is drinking with with the main character of the movie. Oh, that's cool. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's sweet. Also, I saw some people go like, hey, we should actually make a drink because some of the milk got into uh, Hangman's whiskey and call it the cowboy shit. Mm. So I need to see if, if anybody's come up with some cocktails for that. That'd be... Ooh. Might have to try that. But uh, then we cut back to the field, and we see Sammy Guevara and Chris Jericho. They're still dealing with the Bucks. And one of the Bucks, uh, Matt, 
basically takes Sammy Guevara from one end of the field and does locomotion northern light suplexes for a hundred yards all the way to the other end. Beautiful, beautiful, clever editing. All the while, Chris Jericho gets hits in the nuts with a football. And he fucking Judas affects the Jaguars mascot, and then he tries to pin someone, and it doesn't, and it doesn't work. It goes to a two count, and he challenges the play with the red flag, which is one of the few football references I would get. Him and Audrey go into the tent and watch the replay, and she sees it's a two count, but he keeps arguing with her, and he just goes, "You're a shitty referee," and walks away. Oh, man. Man, oh, man. Ugh. Sorry. Yeah. That's that's an appropriate reaction. Man, oh, man. I did see one person say, like, oh, man, they gave us perfect gift fuel for whenever a football team beats the Jaguars of just putting the football team logo on top of Jericho's head. <laughs> and I say, go, like, yeah, nope, that's going to happen. That's just going to be a thing now. Um, but, but basically... So then- Sammy Guevara gets up. He notices he basically he's crawling over the field. He gets woken up by a sprinkler and just like can't escape it for like a minute. And he sees that he's the last one standing and he goes, like, Oh man, we won. I'm the last guy standing. And then you hear Kenny and oh, Matt on the golf cart from Dynamite a few weeks ago. Rev, Rev, the the Life in his face just drains away. He goes like, oh shit. Not again. Again in the same night because he was almost ran over by a goddamn horse. Mm-hmm. And they all just chase him up into the stands. And then Kenny fucking one-winged angels him off of like 30 feet or some shit. And gets the pin to win the match. Oh yeah. Also, we have the one Mm-hmm. We have a new uh, new iteration of Vanguard, which was which was uh, uh, I can't remember what the first word was, but Excalibur said the full acronym. It's something electronic organism. Natural. Natural electronic organism. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. So so good. So fantastic. Well, the best part about the Stadium Stampede match is yet to come, because next week on Dynamite. Basically, they had ordered a bunch of oh, we won shirts like you do when you do a football, uh, like a big the Super Bowl, and they go like, oh shit, what are we gonna do with them? And and Chris Jericho goes like, oh, at least we only have like two or three boxes, we can deal with it. Then Santana goes like, no, no, or Santana and Ortiz go like, no, Santana, it was Santana, goes like, ah, actually, boss, um, I got a really good deal from uh, this one guy up in New York. And Ortiz goes like, that one guy, he's a dick. (laughs) And he opens up the back of the truck, and you just see hundreds of boxes. And Ortiz, with the best line of the night, wow, that's a lot of boxes. I gotta wonder if that was a reference to the the original um, American live-action Godzilla. So, so good. So, uh, we've talked about Double or Nothing, and obviously we know where we're going 
in in the end we know we know the other thing we have to talk about but uh first can i bring up wwe for a second oh bring up the dumpster fire yes so how aware are you of johnny and candace's heel turn i know that my friend who likes johnny gargano is digging it well good for him I'm glad he's happy. In my opinion, it's the most embarrassing shit I've seen in a while. Mm. It's, uh... It's... There's this really stupid recurring promo they keep doing of Johnny and Candace sitting at the dinner table talking about how great they are. And, like, occasionally they'll turn to the camera and start, like, threatening the roster. And the screen will get black and white and slightly slow mode and their voices will be distorted. But the rest of the promo is, like, really chipper and upbeat music and it's happy. And it's it's just shoving it in your face that, like, they're the bad guys now. Look how mean they are. Look how self-absorbed they are. And they're coming out dressed in like these ridiculous, trying to look badass and evil, but completely failing. It's like they want to look like Baron Corbin, but they only know that bright colors exist. They've never heard of dark colors. And it just, the whole thing comes off like two preppy kids trying to be goth and failing spectacularly. Mm. Um, however, Karrion Cross made his debut and beat, and is currently planning to beat the shit out of um, Tommaso Ciampa, and that's pretty neat. I finally get why wrestling with the plot is so obsessed with Scarlet. <laughs> um, and... Uh, Anything else on NXT worth watching? Oh, yeah, uh, Matt Riddle got the shit beat out of him by some UK guy I'd never heard of, and now he's going to SmackDown because fuck everything. Um, And uh, the Drake Maverick thing is the Drake Maverick thing. Um, Oh, boy, that's that's a thing and a half. and And then over on the main roster... They've got crowds. They finally, they finally were willing to admit that AEW had a good idea, and they started bringing in crowds. Unfortunately, they completely fucked it up. Made them miserable. Made them stand for seven hours at a time and yell continuously to the point of losing their voices, and just yell for everything. Not have any sort of barometer for how over something should be just continuously yell at the same volume for every little thing that happens. And also we're going to put plexiglass in front of you ostensibly to protect the wrestlers, even though you're wrestlers and we're not having you social distance. And also the plexiglass makes you guys look really distorted and weird, which is distracting. Yeah. It's, uh, it's it's not great. Oh, oh, and also uh, tonight while we're recording, SmackDown is going on, and uh, Jeff's in another s- storyline about the fact that he is in alcoholism. <sighs> Yay! Yep, yep, yep. But um, WWE stands will def- still defend it. It's uh. 
I mean, there's it's not all bad. Seth's still doing stuff that's fun and is good heel, but that that's about it. Like, I mean, what they're doing with Asuka now that she's the champion isn't terrible, but it's also not super captivating. Um, also, the Mandy and Otis thing is kind of just petering out, and um, fucking. Liv Morgan is someone we're supposed to care about now, even though she's not charismatic at all. And Charlotte's on everything. Charlotte and Baron, just put them on everything. Doesn't matter if it makes sense, just put them on everything. So let's talk about the Battle Royale. Yeah, that was fun. I like that. I like yeah. I liked MJF cutting a promo before it and teasing a split with Wardlow, but then him and Wardlow just sat in the corner for most of the match. Um, which, by the way, we forgot to mention it during the Double or Nothing discussion. Uh, MJF versus Jungle Boy was fucking dope. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, this Battle Royale was great. It had Colt Cabana, had Billy Gunn. Freaking Billy Gunn coming in through the crowd and just and being like, oh, shit, I'm booked tonight? Okay. Uh, it's even greater because they did one of those little pre-show things, and he was and he was being interviewed, going like, "Hey, you've been in a lot of battle royales. Do you have any advice?" And I was like, "Yeah, I'm not in this match, but uh, here's some advice." He's like, "Oh <laughs> shit, I am in this match. Okay." Yeah. It was good. Uh, uh, a lot of great stuff. Orange Cassidy is still great. He gets beaten up by the inner circle before the match and just runs away under the ring to set up the final spot. And uh, Jungle Boy won, so he's the first person to go for the TNT Championship. Yeah, and speaking of which, Cody came out and cut a promo and basically said, uh, fuck all y'all, I proved that I'm great, and I'm going to keep proving that I'm great. We're doing an opening, an open challenge every week from now on. It's going to be fantastic. Mm-hmm. And freaking, like, I was a little thrown off by the uh, the football man comparison at the beginning because I sports are, I don't care about sports, but he made it work. And uh, we got a nice little reference. Uh, a certain hand gesture was used. And um, they got an incredibly marketable and reusable shot of him saying, follow me, this is where the fun begins. Nice little Star Wars quote. Oh, man. It's going to be fantastic. Uh, we had a couple other matches, a couple other promo bits. Some, uh, we have, um, who was it that's getting an immediate title shot for the tags next week? It's uh, Kip Sabian and, uh, oh, God, what's his name? Jimmy Havoc. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Which people were complaining about because they weren't even ranked. But, guys, they just became 1-0 and in the tag scene tonight. Yeah, kind of instantly shoots them to the top of the tag rankings. And let's see. We had Britt Baker going, like, it's a conspiracy. Everybody's out to get me. And Audrey's at the center of it, which... I like that we're playing Audrey up as a real character more now. But also, where's this going to go? Are we going to see Britt Baker versus Audrey Edwards at All Out? Uh, I don't know. Who knows? 
Um, and finally, the last big segment was basically an inner circle pep rally. And I love uh, um, Ollie's idea that it that Chris Jericho booked the, the booked this in advance, thinking they would win, and he had to fucking cover his tracks. Mm-hmm. And they basically it was a funny thing. They gave a lot of presents and all that jazz. Vicky Guerrero came out and she introduced them. Well, dressed as a cheerleader with the Jacksonville Jaguars cheerleaders, which I didn't notice, but Dave Meltzer went off on like a whole tear about it on Wrestling Observer. Vicky's fucking background is a cheerleader. When she Aww. was in when she was in her late teens, she was a cheerleader for a local team in her hometown. That's cute. And I'm and I she's also enjoy Jericho just bringing in Vicky Guerrero more. Yeah, because I mean. She's close, or Jericho is close friends with her, so he probably knew that, and he was like, "Oh, hey, you're here to be in the crowd for Double or Nothing? Okay, cool. Stick around on Wednesday. I've got something for you to do." Uh, they go through a bunch of gags. It's great, and eventually Jericho drops the fucking continuity nod of the fucking night, and says, "Hey, I remember when Mike Tyson punched me in the face." Ten years ago, on an episode of Raw, I'm still a little peeved about that. Mm-hmm. And Sammy's like, well, I can't bring you uh, Mike Tyson's head on a silver platter, but I do have a cheese platter. But Mike Tyson and his crew ate it already. Mm-hmm. Uh, they come out, they're showing their big dicks, and we got a pull-apart brawl, and it's fun. Ready for me to be a party pooper? Go ahead. Okay, so I've been I've been thinking about this because people are are very all or nothing about this segment. There's a lot of people who've been trashing it, calling it a disaster. There's a lot of people who've been saying, "Oh, like it was a fun, good, attention-grabbing way to end the show." I'm kind of in the middle of, on it, where like I get why this was done. A AEW is all about continuity, and this was a perfect opportunity to get in a huge continuity nod, which I do agree was nice. B, it's a great way to get AEW in headlines, get more eyes on the brand, and I understand AEW is still a new company. They've just had their one-year anniversary. They're trying to grow the brand and get more eyes on them, and it worked. This article was fucking everywhere uh, and it got coverage on freaking espn espn doesn't cover wrestling that much unless they're paid to by wwe so kind of a big deal however i have to question the ethics of having a pull apart brawl in the era of social distancing and i also have to question the booking of Chris Jericho versus Mike Tyson with all these other legit sports guys in the middle of it because and this this is where I also have to bring up Wrestling Observer and say I guess that Brian Alvarez is fucking deaf because he was going on and on about like oh the commentators never mentioned who else was with Mike Tyson it's ridiculous they should have been saying there's literally uh, a whole bit where JR's like, hey, Excalibur, who do you recognize? And he's like, oh, it's this guy. It's fucking this guy. It's this guy. Which, okay, good. They were doing their jobs, but also I'm sitting there going, 
Mike Tyson is the only person in this fucking crowd I know. All these other guys just look like a bunch of jabronis to me. And the fact that we're acting like they're a big deal irks me for the same reason that people like Brock Lesnar irk me, that people like Shayna Baszler irk me. We're acting like they're supposed to be big, badass, impressive people because they come from a quote-unquote legit sports, and they could totally beat these wrestlers in a real fight, bro. It's it's They're such badasses. It's so cool to have them there. They lend legitimacy to this brand. I'm of the opinion that wrestling should just be taken seriously as a brand in and of itself because I am somebody who doesn't give a shit about actual sports. I watch wrestling because I like storytelling. I like entertainment. And the fact that wrestling is an entertainment medium about sports makes it cool to me. Now, you can have people come in to do little guest spots here and there. Like, I thought having Tyson present the TNT Championship was cool. I thought it worked because he was just there to add to the match. He wasn't there to be the match. And I'll admit, there have been other things in wrestling where it's worked. We just, I brought up Matt Riddle earlier. I like Matt Riddle. He won me over because he's a character before he's a, a, a name brand product, I should say. And even Ronda Rousey, I could say to a certain extent has has the same thing that mike tyson does where yes mike tyson is known for being a boxer yes ronda rousey is known for being in the mma but also those two are kind of like just pop culture icons in general so i'm i'm cool with them coming in it's not like again Shayna baszler or brock lesnar or the freaking gronk where it's we got this sports person to come in. Sports people, look at us. And there were a ton of uh, fucking boxers and MMA people with Tyson. And I was literally just like, oh, oh Tyson brought in some other uh, people he knows. That's cool. And then they're going off on commentary about like, it's this guy. It's this guy. They're badasses. And it's cool and impressive. And I'm like, yeah, okay. And it worries. It, it, that, it's, it's a WWE move to me. And it and I may that make, me. If Go I may on. make a couple defenses. One, mm-hmm. I don't think Mike Tyson's going to be in a match. I don't think that's what it's is leading to. I think it's very much like... Uh, there, I, it doesn't feel like that. It feels like Mike Tyson and Chris Jericho are leaning up to something uh, 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 that could be an interesting match unrelated mm-hmm. to Mike Tyson. But if I make make a defense of MMA and boxing people being a big deal in professional wrestling. It'd be like, it'd be like seeing a bunch of legit classic, brilliant NASCAR drivers all hanging out, being like NASCAR drivers, all that. And then the best F1 driver and all of his F1 buddies come up and start swinging their dick. They're two different sports. They're two different rules. They're two different mindsets in racing. But they're both racing. And they both recognize the skill that it takes to do both. And they can see each other be close to the point of like, I think I can take them. That kind of mentality. Yeah, and I get that. 
I get that from the perspective of the performers or the athletes or whatever you want to call them themselves. But I'm worried about the potential sports fans coming in and be and being all salty about potentially these guys getting their asses handed to them because by the wrestlers because this is wrestling and the wrestlers who are going to be here a few weeks from now need to go over and being like oh it's the, the wrestling is so fun like you're getting all these eyes on your wrestling brand but what you don't realize is a lot of these eyes are potentially going to turn around and go oh wrestling's all fake it's such phony goofy bullshit these guys would totally win if it was a real fight i'm not gonna watch anymore now that these guys have gotten beat up or what whatever wherever this angle is leading if it leads to the professional sports people not going over that's going to anger all the a lot of the new eyes you just got on your brand and if it leads to them going over that's going to irk people like me it's a damned if you do damned if you don't kind of a thing and i just prefer they don't even go that direction but they have and now like you're saying it's not going to go to a match i'm thinking it could potentially go to at fighter fest depending on whether or not they're allowed to have fans either stadium stampede round two tyson and his posse versus the inner circle or mike tyson versus chris jericho lumberjack match with the inner circle and the posse as the lumberjacks see and i believe it's going to go in a different direction i think remember aw has a boxer in its midst that is currently training I think what it's going to lead to, I have a better idea because I mentioned earlier what I think it might be. I think Mike Tyson is going to bring up a go-go and him and Sammy Guevara are going to have a match. That could work. Basically, Mike Tyson and Chris Jericho goes like, all right, cool. You know what? I don't want to fight you. You know, just that kind of thing. Like, I, I want to have my boy fight your boy. I I want to put my I want to put our minds at 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 the at the we want I want to test our minds our mentorship that kind of thing. Plus, also, I don't think the posse is going to have as much to do with anything. As you also got to think about UFC and boxing kind of guys, they always carry an entourage because they want to look big and tough. This wasn't, hey, look at my guys invading AEW. This was, hey, I'm in a place with a bunch of legit fighters. I need to have a couple guys on my back, on my behalf, so I don't get jumped by Santana. I don't get jumped by Ortiz. I don't get jumped by Hager. That's fair. There, there can be that mentality. Like, here's the thing. I'm not calling this segment bad. I'm just calling it worrying i'm apprehensive because of it it could go it a few weeks from now i could be saying like this is the best storyline in aew because i trust their booking and i acknowledge that they can turn me around on things but i am at the moment i am worried it's it's basically the force awakens of wrestling whether or not i like it will depend where they go down the road and there may be a couple uh, of those UFC guys who may be wanting to get into professional wrestling much in a Matt Riddle, Shayna Baszler route. And this could be them testing the water, see if they like this environment. 
because one of the guys apparently I've been reading uh, was a just defend like just defended his title at UFC, his bantamweight title, like which is the lightweight division, and basically said, "All right, I won it. I won. I'm gonna retire and vacate the belt." Yeah. So he's not doing anything right now. And he may be going like, hey, wrestling seems pretty fun. Maybe I'd be interested in that. And this could be his kind of testing. Like, going like, oh, maybe I'm interested. That's fair. And, I, and, I'm not, and I'm not saying your worries are unfounded. Like, this could get weird. But I'm hoping it doesn't. Yeah. And I mean, another point I thought of is I would probably like this a lot more if this is what opened the show, like I understand their logic of saving it to the end of you're constantly advertising Mike Tyson's going to be on the main event. He's going to be in the end of the show and you're keeping viewers paying attention and tuned in and ratings and all that. But also I think it would have just flowed better to have the cold open of the inner circle backstage with all the shirts and that whole business. Then you have the in, the new intro playing, which I, I liked all the footage they used, but that's pretty dope. Um, and then you cut straight to the pep rally happening and like maybe instead of um, them fading to black during the pull apart brawl, Tyson and his guys eventually go backstage and the inner circle chase them back there and maybe Jericho's got Floyd and he's just like hitting shit in the walls and going like Tyson you son of a bitch get back here and Tyson loses him and then and then you have the interview which sets up the Orange Cassidy beat down who know like I'm interested to see what happens mm-hmm. um, and also I just think it would have been more fun to have the other big thing as the fade to black. All right, I'm back. So this match, so this episode actually started with a trios match with uh, who was it on one side? It was Private Party and Joey Janela mm-hmm. versus Matt, Matt, and Nick. <laughs> I kind of wish they had just called themselves that. What? Matt, Matt, and Nick. Yeah. Uh, and basically, uh, Omega and Hangman went like, hey, man, we're not doing anything tonight. We're just going to go back to the hotel and relax. They're like, okay, cool. Go uh, go chill. And the Bucks look at Matt and uh, Matt Hardy and say, hey, do you think we could get like a different version of you? And it's like, oh, yeah, no, no, sure. And so he went over, he comes back, and he's in, like, the tight shirt and, like, the full Team Extreme <laughs> vibe. And and they go, like, is this what you want? And you're like, mm, can we get a little bit older? And he's like, oh, you want old school. Okay. He goes out, he comes back in and like, straight up old school, pre-WWE Matt Hardy gear, uh, like-esque environment. It's newer gear. But, like, full on... WF, Trampoline Wrestling Federation. He comes out in a straight-up 80s-esque goddamn entrance. Mm -hmm. So good. 
The only way it could have been better is if instead of broken Matt Hardy, Dasha had said multifarious Matt Hardy. But I understand branding. Old school Matt Hardy. Everyone is a different Matt Hardy. Mm-hmm. So old school Matt Hardy, extreme Matt Hardy, version one Matt Hardy, big, big money, money Matt. Matt Hardy, big money man. They should get Big E into AEW just so he can say that. I ca- I I really want them to play with uh big money Matt Hardy with Cody because Cody had a rich guy gimmick for a while too. Big money Matt and then broken Matt. Mm-hmm. It'd be so fun. Uh, they have a cool match. Um, one of Private Party. I can't remember which one. Uh, Mark big- Quinn. Mark Quinn gets injured. I, it, 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 they played it off legit. No, it looked very legit, but apparently it was kayfabe. Okay, good. Good. Because like every the match went to shit, everybody was confused what was going on, and in fact the ref was looking over and Matt Hardy did the X with his arms like is this uh, is that kind of is, is this kind of situation? Are we gonna ha- should we stop the match? And the re- and like everybody was going like no no it, like we can we can just salvage this real quick. They salvage it real quick. Matt Hardy, being a veteran and person you would think be a locker room leader, goes over to Mark Quinn, picks him up, helps him out to the back. And the Bucks are just like, well, sorry, that went to shit, everybody. So they start posing and hanging out for the TV crowd. And earlier in the match, they they accidentally hit Blade and Butcher, which I'm digging their, like, cannibal droog aesthetic now. Mm -hmm. Apparently they're splitting off from Allie, which... I'm not the biggest fan of. I, I wish we had gotten that more as a storyline, but we'll see how it goes. Honestly, I don't think they're split from Allie. I think in case, like, they're saying they're split because I've been watching some of the pre, uh, pre-show pre stuff for Dynamites, and basically Butcher and Blade went up to the interviewer and started measuring him and going like, ah, not enough meat on these arms. Good, good amount of meat on the back. What about the front? Like talking about the interviewer as if he's a cut of meat. Oh. Like full on, like cannibalistic Drew. Oh, okay. Cool, cool. That kind of thing. Very calm, very collected. And it makes me think well, if he's the butcher and that's the blade, maybe the bunny is the bait. Hmm. And the reason she's going after QT Marshall is to get nightmare uh, natural nightmares, natural nightmares into the eyesight of Butcher and Blade. That's pretty smart. I wouldn't have guessed that. I thought it was just leading to Brandy versus Allie, but that 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 might be cool. Oh, I think that's also going to happen. But as part of this storyline. Okay. I mean, it, why not? Uh, Natural Nightmares is kind of like a, the, the tag team division, uh, the tag team for the Nightmare Collective, Nightmare Family. Mm-hmm. So why wouldn't Brandy go like, hey, you tried to mess with one of my friends, fuck you. Fight me. Yeah. Honestly, I think that's the direction that they're going. 
But also, their full white gear, just imagine that was like blood splattered later on. It'll look sick. Yeah, like Jimmy Havoc's suit. Oh, uh, yeah. It's going to be great. I also just generally dig Butcher and Blade. I think but they're the, amazing. But the thing, get to the thing. Oh, so basically, they bum rush the state, bum rush the ring, and the Bucks try and hold them off. They can't. They're tired. And then you hear a rev of an engine. And deep in the back of your head, you hear. You hear a proud Southern man, not that kind of Southern man. Fuck the Confederate flag. <laughs> Go, say yeah. And then a truck appears, and a fucking classic-looking Ford. Oh, it's beautiful, beautiful car. Um, I'm not a big fan of like modern big fucky trucks. I don't like them. I like small, like compact trucks like this one. No, so. I love classic pickups, but like any modern pickup can go fuck themselves. Mainly just because every pickup I have interacted with on the road has been an asshole to me. Yeah. Uh, that's that's one of the kind of cars I want. I want to get like a like an early '90s Toyota pickup. Mm-hmm. But that's- in this pickup. We have a little group, Dax formerly Carter. known as the Revival, formerly known as the Revolt, <laughs> Dax and Cash, mm. FTR, baby. They go to the ring, you think, oh man, they're going to beat on the Bucks. Oh man, it's going to be epic. No, they help the Bucks. What the fuck's going on? The Bucks are confused. They stare down. Butcher and, and Blade get back up. up, beat the Butcher and Blade, stare down. The Bucks go like, oh, I, I, I guess everything's cool. Go to shake their hands, and they pull a Jake the Snake. Don't turn your back. Don't turn your back on things you're afraid of. They turn their back. Oh. They're... They're gonna tease us and stretch this shit out for so long, but I, I'm I'm excited. I'm excited. Oh no, I I don't want this anytime. I don't want this soon. I want this to last a year. I want this at next double or nothing. Really? Because I was thinking this is all out. Oh no no no! I want all out to be their first like big. Like here's the thing: I don't want FTR to be. Only we're rivals to the Young Bucks. I want a full like year of them being the best tag team in the division to the point that like JR's going like, you know, I used to think the Bucks were the best tag team in the world. You know what? I'm starting to think FTR might be that. Mm-hmm. And I just want that to eat away at the Bucks. And I just want FTR to just be like, you know what? Screw it. We don't want to wrestle you guys. Oh my Why god. We? We're the best in the world. FTR beat Hangman and Kenny. The Bucks couldn't do that. Automatically it makes FTR look better than the Bucks. And they just have match and classic after classic after classic and it's the Bucks are just going like fuck you. Fuck you. And they just go like, you know, we used to be bothered by you saying FTR. Because we all knew what that meant. But we realized it was just jealousy. 
you guys realized you weren't the best tag team in the world, so you lashed out. And they hold up the belts because we are the best tag team in the world. Fuck the rest. Like, full on. Drop the F-bomb. Bleep it live on air. Fuck the rest. Mm-hmm. Fear. Ah. Uh, it's so good. I'm I'm excited. I'm excited. I, I think it should have been the ending of the show, but you know what? It is a great way to open it. And flipping. <clears throat> yeah. AEW. So Wrestling. Like, fantastic. Like, I'm catching up on WWE, but honestly, I don't know if I'm going to stay caught up once I am, just because, like, AEW is so much more satisfying. And I I hate to sound like a mark, because I I love most things in this company, but it's just, it's that good. And, like, WWE is really only worth paying attention to these days when it's one of the big four pay-per-views. Yeah. And the shame is that you can just watch those pay-per-views and not miss a thing. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I guess we'll talk about Survivor Series when Survivor Series comes around. Yeah, yes. I don't know. It might be, whenever they get fans back, it might be worth noting whatever happens at that show, but we'll see. Um, but in the meantime, we've been talking about wrestling for a very long time. How about we close out the show with uh, one or two things else we've been up to this week? So I listened to Orville Peck's new song. Summertime? No, no, no. The other new song. Oh, this time I didn't see the new song come out. Uh, hold on. Let me... Do I have it saved? No, I don't have it saved. Let me get it upvoted. Oh, I didn't upvote it. Oh, no. No glory in the West? No glory in the West. Yeah, that's it. It was great. It was a simple little ballad. One guitar. It was fantastic. Just basically saying, like, yeah, life isn't glamorous. Fuck it. Nice. Really good. Really solid. No, the, like I'm excited for his new album, and I I have a dumb theory that Dolly Parton's on it. Hmm. So what'd oh, you yeah. what'd you get up to? Um well, honestly, not that much. It's been a very, very light week, mostly just opening figures and watching wrestling. Um, I did watch another episode of Cyberverse. Uh, not much else has happened except for Dead End is now another member of their uh, trying to fight the Quintesson Invasion team. And also, apparently, McAdam is still on Cybertron running his bar. That's interesting. Um uh i did try and catch up on zero one just because uh they're not putting out new episodes right now due to the pandemic they actually just started filming again this week after a month and a half off um i watched episodes 30 through 33 and uh it's good but not the show's best work it's mainly interesting because where i left off uh 
Arto had just lost a company to uh, Fowser, and it comes back and it's kind of like, oh, I guess I made the right choice in not watching for, for like a month and a half because it feels like a lot of time has passed. And Arto's now starting up a new company because um, Fowser was like, yeah, we're discontinuing Human Gears and we're recalling them all and all of them are going to be forcibly shut down. So he started up a new company just saying like, uh, hey, people, pay me to turn your Human Gears back on. So now we're we're having a storyline where he's going around and all the people from the opening one-off episodes where we saw him trying to sell human gears to people they're coming back and saying uh yeah hey that human gear that you sold me could you get it working again um which is nice good continuity um also uh apparently um the secondary writer, his whole thing, Vulcan, I forgot his writer name, Vulcan, his whole thing um, was apparently fake. He had he has a chip in his head that Fowser put in there and like altered his memories. And also one of the the terrorist human gears is trapped in there with him. So he's like a pseudo common writer double surrogate going on. Um and he's kind of going for this little arc where he's gone from, I hate human gears. I just want to destroy human gears. I'm a racist. I'm a racist cop. To, oh, this corporation made me think I hate human gears. Fuck this corporation. I hate this corporation. I'm going to destroy this corporation. Based. Mm hmm. And, um,. Also, at the same time, he's yelling at Valkyrie because she's still working for Fowser. He's basically like, he's just controlling you the same way he controlled me. Snap the fuck out of it. You're my partner. I know you. You're better than this. And she's going, but it's my job. I need money to survive. I can't. I can't. Oh, uh, oh, God. Oh, he's fret. Fowser is threatening to kill me if I don't do this. This thing now, if I don't kill you, my ex-partner. Fuck it. I'm going to punch him in the face. Consider that my resignation. And that's where I've left off. Based. Mm -hmm. It's, uh... We have found the only good cop. Common Rider is the most anti-capitalist capitalist franchise of all time. It's hilarious. Genuinely hilarious how much that, like, is true. Mm -hmm. And I love how Bowser is just, like, the ultimate chicken shit heel. Where he comes in looking like all clean and prim and proper and he's got these bodyguards backing him up and he's he's gloriously just like, oh, your company is misappropriating my company's property. I'm going to beat your ass and destroy those human gears with my bare hands now. And then he gets his ass beaten and forcibly detransforms and his suit's all torn up and muddy and he's like, God damn it, Ardo, I'll get you next time. He's literally Jericho screaming, I have a ticket. Brilliant, beautiful, perfect. Mm -hmm. It's uh it's a good show. You gotta you should catch up on it. Um I've got I've got two more episodes till I get to the, the pandemic recap episodes. So I'll probably watch those uh tomorrow and then I'll probably leave it again for a long time so I can use the pandemic recaps as refreshers. Yeah. Most everything else I've been doing this week is just fucking working on videos because I finally started doing that again. Nice. Mm. Well, since you are doing that, 
why don't you go ahead and tell people who you are and where they can find your stuff? Uh, hi, I'm Chris Boingo Writer Gaston. Yes, that is my YouTube name. No, I'm not ashamed of it. I am a little <laughs> ashamed of it. I make video editorials, which are like video essays, but uh, I don't claim to know shit. It's all my opinion, man. Uh, my latest video was about how, you know what? The Wii U was a pretty good game console. Fuck you. Uh, you can find a link to that in the description. Is that too much fork for you? I don't think so. Okay. But you can also find a link to my YouTube channel down there, I think. If not, search Boingo Rider. You'll find me. Um, if you want to, you can follow me on Twitter. I rarely use Twitter. Or Instagram. I'm starting using Instagram again because, hey, I can just make dumb aesthetic edits on my computer and just upload them there. Or my dumb jokes I make in my videos. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Also, you can join my Discord server, which I'd say right now is pretty active. It's a lot more active now. Yeah. There's so, like yeah. there's like a conversation a day. Yeah. With me, you, my good 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 friend Cody Burke, uh, a couple other people, including uh why don't we do a little shout out to Bluey Productions? Yeah, the the blue boy, he's there. He does blue. Abadi, abada. Abadi, yeah, we abada. We like that kid. He's he's gonna go places. But uh now, a, place, a place you could go is my channel because I am the vacuuminator, the modular king of the vlogging ring. And let me tell you something, people, I am back on the rise and I am feeling so high about it. I just did a video showcasing my favorite local toy store and it is blowing up like dynamite. And I intend to capitalize on that with my next video, which will probably be out by the time this podcast is. So why don't you go check that out at youtube.com slash the vacuuminator and while you're at it go subscribe to my social media i'm on twitter and instagram at the vacuuminator and hey before you do that before you do that amazing spectacular wonderful thing that is giving me more views why don't you give modular a little more of your time go ahead and subscribe Ring the bell to enable notifications if you want to get more episodes of Analytical Fanboys as they come out. If you want to listen to us on the go, we got a Google Drive folder with every episode as an MP3 down in the video description. You can also follow us on Twitter at The Modular Media and join our subreddit r slash modular media to get updates on the podcast when there are ones to present. And hey, why don't you come back next week? Because we will be discussing Thumpasaurus music videos, whatever the hell that is. But we'll be doing it on Analytical Fanboys next week on the Modular Media channel. Until then, this is the Vacuumator. Why is things so goddamn sexy? Yes, that. <laughs>